Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. God, thank you for being good. Thank you for always being with us, no matter what our lives look like. Um, God, we love you, um, and please be with us now as we um, now dive into your word, hear what you have to say to us. God, thank you. Um, in your name I pray, amen. Good morning again, and welcome again to Morrison Hill Christian Church. If you're joining us online, we're so thankful that you're here this morning. Uh, we're glad to have you with us as well, and we're so thankful for everybody who showed up in person. Um, this whole summer, we're focusing on putting others first, and the truth is that it's hard and it's complicated, isn't it? Here, here's an example. Is this good or evil? Depends on who you talk to. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and I know at our house, uh, there's a meal called uh, beef stroganoff. Depending on who you ask, that's the best meal we ever eat as a family, or I'm just not eating tonight. <laughs> How do you put others first when everybody disagrees? How do you put others first? How do you choose who gets to be happy this time? How, how do you encourage people to just choose to be happy no matter what? How do you put others first? It's hard and it's complicated. Uh, let me just reassure you this morning that that's how it always is. It's always been that. That's not new to 2020. That's not new to any of the things we're facing now or any of the ways that we're reacting to it. That's just how it is. Putting other people first, putting God ultimately first and expressing that by loving others as you love yourself, that's hard. And it's complicated. And even Jesus struggled with that because he had to struggle with the stuff that we do as human beings. The only person who ever gets it 100% right all the time is God, and even God gets criticized all the time, doesn't he? We all think God should, if he's really putting us first, he would do this different, or let this person live longer, or heal this person, or, or make this happen, or not let this happen. Even God, who always consistently, perfectly puts others first, and does what's ultimately best, gets criticized all the time. So let me just reassure you this morning, that if it's hard right now, if it's complicated right now, if you feel like you're being criticized or that you're the one criticizing people, this is normal, way more normal than you think it is. This is not something new. All right, can we start there this morning? Here's, here's the second thing. Again, Jesus experienced this. Right after Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and then face temptation with the devil himself. Now, here's the thing. We can look back. We can look back in history and we can go, oh, see, that was because he had to be tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet be without sin. And this was a way to show us how to beat temptation. And this was something, this was a wonderful, beautiful thing God was doing. But you know what that felt like to Jesus in the moment? It felt like being really, really hungry and really, really alone and then facing the devil all by himself. Because we live in the here and the now. We live in the moment. We talked about this a lot last week, so I don't want to belabor it a lot, but this is what we've got. C.S. Lewis says, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. 
And this is where we are every single day. This is how Jesus had to experience life just like we do. We, he had to live it in the here and now. There was one day of fasting in the wilderness all alone, and then another one, and then another one, and then another one. It's real easy to tell the story, 40 days of fasting, but can you imagine spending over a month not eating and being alone in the wilderness? You talk about somebody being good at social distancing. Is, is this making sense? Do you guys get what we're going with? We live in the here and now. And we have to make our choices in the here and now. And that is why Jesus taught us to relentlessly keep coming back to God daily. Realigning ourselves with him like a spiritual GPS. To relentlessly realign ourselves with God himself and also with God's perfect will for our lives. And if we do that, we have hope. If we don't do that, we don't. Because left to ourselves, we're all, even with our best intentions, we're going to get off track. We're going to get distracted. We're going to be wrong about something, but believe we're right about it. All of us. So our only hope is to keep coming back to God as a heavenly father who always gets it right, even when it doesn't feel like it, doesn't seem like it, realigning ourselves with him. So we come to him every day and we say, our father in heaven, may your name be praised. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Give us what, we need, what you think we need today. Even that is an act of submission. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Even that, again, like we looked at last week, that's an act of submission. We, we're saying that only God can define what sin is. Only God can define what punishment that is due. Only God can define who gets to be forgiven and why and how. And one of those conditions is that we forgive others just like he forgives us. And now we get to where we are today. The next thing he says to bring to God every single time, every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, constantly realigning ourselves with God is this. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Rescue us from evil. Save us from evil. We can't do that on our own. C.S. Lewis, again, has a wonderful quote about evil, and I think we should start there. He says, Goodness is, so to speak, itself. Badness is only spoiled goodness. There must be something good first before it can be spoiled. I think this is always something to remember when we face evil. Our, our, our culture and every other culture has always struggled with this, but it seems like that, excuse me, it seems like that evil is probably equal to good. That's what it feels like sometimes, or maybe even stronger than the good. And that the good is always kind of pushing back, trying, trying to have a little fortress against the forces of evil, and that's all we've got. But the truth is, when the devil, when the devil rebelled, he took one-third of heaven with him. That means there's two-thirds that are still good. Twice as many good angels as there are bad ones. And there be, the bad ones are being led by the devil. The good ones are being led by God himself. Which side is more powerful? And, and all evil is is twisted goodness. It's, it's things that God created to be good and then we've somehow messed it up, perverted it, broken it. Somehow we've messed it up. It's never going to be as powerful as what is good. But it is powerful. And that's why God warned us about it. All the way back in the first couple chapters of Genesis, we see God creating this tree of knowledge 
of good and evil. It's interesting sometimes, especially as a kid, I, I kind of pictured that as this magical tree that the, the fruit itself gave you this knowledge. But really all it is, God didn't create anything evil. He just knows that the only way that we can know anything is to experience it in the here and now. The only way we can really know or understand something or get something is we have to live it. And so the only, he, he just had another tree. Are you with me? But when they disobeyed him, they experienced what it's like to say, you know what, I'm not sure God's right. I'm not sure God has my best interest in mind. I'm not sure God's actually putting me first. I'm not sure that this is right. In fact, I'm so confused about that, so full of doubt and fear about that, that I'm going to pick my way instead of his. And by eating that fruit, they experienced that for the first time. And then they started feeling the separation from God, the physical and the spiritual death. They had knowledge of good and evil. And ever since that moment, it's gotten worse and worse and worse. The more steps we take away from God as individuals and as humanity, the worse it gets. So to fight evil, the first thing we've got to do is acknowledge that it's real. Can we say that with me? We must acknowledge evil. And once again, just like last week when we were talking about forgiveness, this week it's the same thing. We're not talking about what I think forgiveness is, what you think forgiveness is, which is just kind of, ah, oh, it's okay. It's a big deal to God. Forgiveness is a huge thing. He acknowledges how evil it is, and then he lets it go based on something. Just in the same way, when we're talking about evil, we're not talking about what you think is evil. We're not talking about what personally creeps me out. We're talking about what God defines as evil. And what Jesus is asking us to pray that God will deliver us from is what God calls evil. So here's what that is. It's pretty simple, actually. It's not so much somebody who stands in the corner and wrings their hands and chews on the scenery and sends their minions to do evil things. That's what we tend to think of of evil. Some terrible, I shall take over the world. <laughs> it's not a label we slap on other people. It's not something that we go, well, I'm good and you're evil. It's not about that at all. Here's what evil is, scripturally speaking. It's whatever or whoever opposes God's righteousness and God's justice. Righteousness being the way he wants us to live. The kind of relationship he wants us to have with him and with everyone else. Righteousness being that and justice being whatever sets that up or restores that when we get off track. Anything that opposes that in God's mind is evil. If we're not living in the kind of harmony and love that God wants us to live in, that's evil. If we're not doing the things that make righteousness happen if we're not fixing things that are broken that's evil evil is anything that opposes God's perfect plans or God himself evil is even what questions God's perfect will that's where the original sin starts and that's where it goes uh, anything that God says is fundamentally true like he created us male and female equal but different before him Set up things like marriage and the church that are symbols of everything that he is and everything he wants us to be. And when we question that, we go, I'm not sure that's really, I'm not really sure that's as hard and fast of lines as it is. What about this? What about this? I know somebody who thinks this way. I know somebody who thinks this way. I personally think this way. We're not labeling those people as evil. I'm not, uh, that's what we can't do. But to God, 
questioning his goodness, questioning his wisdom, questioning his designs, questioning what he calls fundamental, he calls that evil. Anything that he designed to help us experience him is good. And anything that opposes that is evil. And that's why there is an evil one. There are evil spirits. There are evil people. There are evil organizations. There are evil laws, evil beliefs. There's evil inside each one of us. That doesn't mean you're an evil person or that I'm an evil person, but there is a potential in all of us, a sinful nature that can draw us away from God and distract us or mess us up and sometimes become a God in and of itself. And God calls that evil. And Jesus told us that every single day we've got to come back to him and realign ourselves with God, our Heavenly Father, and say, don't lead me into temptation because I'm really vulnerable here. Deliver me from evil. That's part of this daily process of making sure that we're staying on track. Part of what we're inviting the Holy Spirit to do and say, recalculating and get us back on track again. In Matthew chapter 15, uh, Jesus and his disciples were eating without washing their hands. And some uh, religious leaders got all over them about that. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Is that sound like, yeah, yes, uh, oddly, oddly. I just, it, it's, I didn't pick that on purpose. It's just that's how that story goes. But Jesus took that opportunity not to say that washing your hands is not a good idea, which I appreciate. Thank you, Jesus, because I was washing my hands a lot long before it got cool. I'm down with washing my hands, okay? Just, just throw, throw it out there. But Jesus says there's something so much more on, there's something so much more important going on here. Don't miss that. The stuff that goes into you. The things you eat and the things you drink and the germs and whatever else, that is not what separates you from God. That's not what makes you spiritually unclean. That's what, not what makes you evil. Those things are not evil. What's evil is the stuff that's in you that comes out. What's in you is the stuff that separates you from God, where you question him and you act on those questions instead of acting in trust and obedience. Jesus said in the middle of that, speech he gave them. He says, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Paul writes, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. As always, notice when the Bible is giving us stuff to do, it's always action verbs I think that's something that we miss sometimes. We tend to think, here's how you should think. Here's, here's what you should kind of accept somewhere in the bottom of your heart. And what he's actually saying is do this and don't do this. Almost all the time. Uh, again, Paul, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. In Galatians, he writes, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties and other sins like these. Let me tell you again as I have before that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Why? Because evil is what opposes God. Evil is what distracts us or intentionally chooses something else instead of his perfect plans for us. It doesn't matter what you think about it. It doesn't matter what the people you love think about it. If God hates it, it's evil. If it's not what God is telling us to do, it's evil. That's why we need his help to be delivered from it. Because if it was all left up to us, as hard and as complicated as it always is, we'd all just nonstop make mistakes every single day. Not that we never do. It's just that's all that we'd get done without God's help. Paul again, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. Now, once again, we have, we have the past, we have the present, we have the future. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ in the past, you don't have a chance of getting to heaven. Jesus Christ is the one who saves us. There's nothing that you can do that's so good that you can save yourself. There's nothing you can do that's so evil that he can't save you. Everybody's got this, right? But if you are saved, if you are a believer of Jesus, if at some point you have surrendered all the reins back to him, you've, you've been baptized, you've got the Holy Spirit in you, you've, you're, you're daily being discipled and discipling, all the things, you're living this life that Jesus called us to live. This is what you're about. You're still going to be held accountable for doing things that are either further in that direction or that are messing those things up. That's what good or evil is. You're going to be held accountable for it now that you're part of God's family, now that you're part of his kingdom, now that you are one of his children, what are you doing to do his will on this earth? That's good. Or what are you doing to slow it down or mess it up? Or just get distracted and never get around to it. Because that's what he calls, say it with me, evil. Oh, I thought everybody got that by now. I've said it like 17 times. Let's try it one more time. The stuff God loves is good. And the stuff that slows down everything that's good, that distracts us from what's good, that messes up what's good, that is against what is good is evil. Yes. Yes. Now we're getting there. So here comes the next choice that we have to make. We've got to acknowledge that there is such a thing as evil that we've got to oppose it. Now we've got to actively start doing some stuff. And that first thing is this. We must resist temptation. Let's say that together. We must resist temptation. And thank God Jesus experienced this as well. And he knew that we would. In John 17, the night before he was killed for us, he said this. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Let's talk about the evil one for just a second. I don't think he really looks like this picture that's about to go up there. That's from The Passion of the Christ. I think it's actually a woman actor or something like that. But it's kind of appropriate because listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth. Because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Anybody that's ever told a lie or heard a lie, you know the best lies, as in the most effective, none of them are morally good, but the ones that seem to work the best, people actually tend to believe them, there's a little bit of truth in them. Have you noticed that? It just kind of twists it a little bit. Because that's really the essence of evil. 
Well, that's where the devil starts, but man, he goes way off kilter as well. In fact, he's got several titles that should show us what he's all about and why we need God's help to fight it and why we need to resist temptation ourselves. Satan, the name Satan, it means the accuser. It's kind of a title more than just a name, a personal name. It means the accuser, the prosecutor. It's kind of a legal term. It's the one who's trying to get you judged and condemned. The one who's trying to keep, get you into prison. The one who's trying to get you written off. Devil is basically comes out of the same root words that mean gossip and slander. Gossip being spreading things that... Um, and gossip and slander both being things that are negative... But one is things that are true and negative and trying to get that to be your identity in your own heart and everybody else's mind. But also some things that aren't true even. But trying to say that you are something evil. You are something wrong. You are something bad. Devil, is that title is tied up into that process. So keep that in mind next time you're tempted to talk behind somebody else's back. Next time you're trying to criticize someone. Make sure... You remember that that comes from the evil one. And the title, the evil one, it means basically evil one in this definition we're looking at. Somebody who questions and opposes God's plans. This is the person that Jesus fought in the wilderness to show us how to get the job done. How to resist temptation. In Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. I, how many have heard this story before? Jesus fighting the devil? A few of you haven't actually heard this. Wow. Well, you need to go back and read it word for word because I've got several more things to cover here. But here's the gist of it and here's what I believe are some things we have to get out of it today. I don't think you'd ever mind the depths of this little story if you read it every day for the rest of your lives. But here's what I hope you get today. The first thing the devil tempted Jesus to do was to turn stone to bread. And remember, this is 40 days into a fast out all alone. There's nobody else around. Nobody else is going to see this happen, whatever he chooses to do. And he's hungry, super, super hungry. And the question, I'm sure, in the humanity part of Jesus that rose up in that moment had to be, how could this possibly be wrong? That's one of the devil's best and most effective lies. How could it be morally wrong? How could God possibly be offended by turning stone into bread? Seriously, how is that wrong? That's the way we tend to think all the time. But that's not what was wrong. God wasn't saying once and for all, if any scientist or anybody else ever figures out how to turn stones into bread, that's just evil, that's just sick, don't do that. That's not the point. Jesus was being tempted to use his power for selfish things. To use the power God had given him and the authority God had given him over all of creation to do stuff just for himself that wouldn't make a difference to anybody else at all. It was just pampering himself. And Jesus was like, no, that's not what I'm here for and that's not what this power is here for. I'm here to do God's will. I don't live by bread alone. I live by the word of God. Then he takes him to the temple and he pulls out this obscure verse from the Psalms where God says the righteous people will be protected by God. He'll protect them. They won't even stumble. They won't even stub their feet on some stones. And he goes, so if you're actually God's son, you could throw yourself off this temple and he's going to send angels or something, right? Because he's not going to let you get struck by a stone. 
This is his original lie. Did God really say that? Is that really? Why don't you test it? Why don't you try? Why don't you see if he comes through? Why don't you see if he really meant what he said? But usually what the devil tells you God said, even if he's quoting it word for word, he's twisting it a little bit. Did you hear that little heads up? If the devil's trying to tempt you with something in the Bible, he's, even if he says it word for word, he's twisting it just a little bit. You need to look at the fruit of what you're being tempted to do. Is it going to cause division and envy and all those other things that Jesus straight up tells us is evil? Or is it going to cause love and unity and expand his kingdom, which lets us know the Holy Spirit is involved? Finally, the devil says, okay, fine. I know you're here to try and take the world back from me. You're here to save the world from evil. You know what? I'll just give it all back to you if instead of worshiping God, you'll worship me. If you've been here a lot and done some research on your own, you probably know this, but I'll just tell you one more time. Worship at its core means pledging allegiance. It's an act of surrender. It's not just singing or praying or taking communion or giving or listening to God's word and trying to apply that to our lives, all of which are worship, all of which are acts of worship. That's why we call this a worship service. But those things in and of themselves are not worship. Worship is we do this in reverence for God. We do this in submission to God. We do this to express our trust and our obedience to God. We are surrendering to him, resyncing ourselves with him. Himself and him as our ultimate authority. And the devil is saying, hey, instead of doing that to God, do that to me. And Jesus is like, no, that's the ultimate evil. Not even so much worshiping the devil. I can't imagine anything that would hurt God more. But I'm telling you, it's not even so much worshiping the devil. It's worshiping anything other than Jesus. And that's really what the devil's goal is anyway. He doesn't really care if we sacrifice goats and dance in the woods in his name. He cares that we don't do anything in God's name. Because that's who he is. That's what being evil means, is to oppose God. Everything else is details to him. And here's the danger. Here's the danger. If we start listening to the devil... One of these temptations, that final temptation, is actually a lot more likely to get us than we usually think it is. I mean, most of us are like, I would never worship the devil. Are you kidding me? I would No, 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 no. But you know what? We're all tempted to do bad things for good reasons. We're willing to join a team, ally ourselves with a group of people who are against God if they're getting something done that we want done. That's a very similar thing to what he's tempting Jesus to do. And Isaiah writes this, What sorrow, what sorrow for those who say that evil is good, and that good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. James writes, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. That's why fasting is such a big deal. And solitude and some other spiritual disciplines that we see Jesus, Jesus practicing and that we 
practice ourselves now, it's because it breaks the power of our sinful nature, breaks our dependence on our own physical desires. It helps us gain control over them. And that helps us realign ourselves with God, with His Spirit on a daily basis in a powerful way. So we resist temptation in all these ways. And then it comes to this next one. We must ask God to deliver us from evil. Let's say that out loud together, please. We must ask God to deliver us from evil. And that, of course, is Jesus' teaching that we're looking at today. Why do we need God's help? Why can't we just do it? Because none of us is perfect. Only God is. And listen to this in Ephesians. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. Against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. And we experience all this stuff in real time. Which makes it really confusing. If we could just kind of look back and go, well, what happened after that? Well, I think that was God. I don't think that was God. It's easier to look back, but we experience it right here, right now. And the choices we make in the right here, right now affect the rest of our lives. Are you knowing? Are you experiencing evil? Or are you knowing, are you experiencing God's perfect will? You experience those in the here and now. And we need him to save us. We need him to save us in a cosmic way and a daily way. Some of the cosmic ways and daily, those bleed together in two of the most famous things Jesus ever said. John 3, 16 and 17. He said, for God loved the world so much he sent his only son into the world. So that whoever believes in him, that means they put their trust in him. And that's the foundation of their life. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to write them off, to judge them, to label them as evil and say they're not us, we're we're something else. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. I come so that you might have life, life to the full. So based on these other three things that we just looked at, acknowledging evil, resisting temptation, asking God's help, now comes the most effective part. It it can't happen on its own. It's got to be built on these other three pillars. But this is the most effective thing against evil. And that is we must pursue righteousness and justice. Let's say that together. We must pursue righteousness and justice. And justice. And again, these are God's definitions. Righteousness is the right kind of relationship with Him and each other. Justice is anything that establishes that or reestablishes that. It means punishment for sin, punishment for things, changing things that are broken, changing things that are wrong. It means establishing and, 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 and empowering good things that get the job done that God wants to get done. We must pursue those things. Micah 6.8 says, The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. To do what is right. To love mercy. To walk humbly with your God. Paul writes, See to it that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. In Romans he writes, Don't let evil conquer you. But conquer evil by, say it with me, 
doing good. James writes in one, James 1.27, we looked at this several times over this whole summer, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. You see the two keys there? We're fighting against evil and even more, we're pursuing righteousness and justice. When that happens, evil cannot win because God and his side, God and his goodness and his original plans are always going to be more powerful than the devil and his plans to mess those good ones up. So the question is, whose side are you on? When Jesus told us to not, to ask God to not lead us into temptation, he knew that God is never going to tempt us. He knew that God is not going to ask us to do, he's not going to try to get us to mess up. But he also knew that sometimes God does take us into a spot where we will be tempted by the devil or by our own desires. And he's asking us as part of that daily process, ask him for help about that. Ask him to wait as long as he possibly can. Ask him to remember your weakness. And ask him to save you from evil. And that's the evil in you. That's the evil one. That's evil in our anywhere. Any of our environment, our church, our government, the world, whatever. It's, it's save us from evil. We need your help in this. So again, whose side are you on this morning? And whose side do you want to be? Is your life about good? Really about good? Or are you just trying not to be bad? Are you justifying bad? Are you teaming up with people that you know are doing things that absolutely offend the heart of God because you think they're also doing something good? And maybe God's people aren't doing it well enough. Are you part of God's church, but you're not willing to say, hey, the church needs to get busy about doing this thing or that thing because that's really close to the heart of God. And I don't see us doing that. Whatever it is that God is telling you in your heart this morning, I'm telling you, it's as simple as that. Is it furthering God's purposes? That's good. Is it pushing back or slowing him down? That's, say it with me, evil. And we need God to deliver us, to rescue us from evil. And he will. Just take that step. Take it this morning. Give your life to him. Give it back to him. Join our church. Do whatever you need to do to fix things with God today in the here and now and watch what happens on the other side. That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.